Well, while the kids are exiting, I want to encourage you to find a Bible and open it up to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. The book of 1 Samuel, we're going to read several verses today that uh, will tell the story that we want to spend a little time in. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, you have these defining moments that mark some kind of change, some kind of transition in your life. Uh, One of those happened for me a few years ago when I was uh, sitting, uh, playing a video game with one of my sons, and to that point in my life and theirs, um, I always knew everything and was ahead of them about everything, and now we're playing this game, and I'm not doing so well. And uh, my youngest son, John, was just blazing through this particular level that we were on. And I found myself watching how he played that level so that I could there for, uh, you know, get the power pack when I needed to get whatever power and, you know, <laughs> defeat whatever enemies were along the way, etc. That's the way it is for us about a whole lot of things in life. There's a whole lot of things that we don't know how to handle that level, to to navigate that scenario in our lives. And so we use models. I used the model of my youngest son to do a video game. But uh, through the years, I've had athletic models. I've had academic models. I've had ministry models. I spent a good bit of time communicating, so I study a lot of communicators, and a lot of those guys have become models to me. And today, I'm going to invite us to go to a biblical character for a model. And I want us to do so with this idea. You got any challenges? Got any problems? You got any gigantic situations that just seem to intimidate and stare you down? Well, you already know who our model will be then, don't you? We want to spend a little time today talking about David and his experience with the giant Goliath. And you'll find that story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, unfortunately for a lot of us, David and Goliath has been minimized to a children's story. We love it. We love retelling it. Maybe if we work with children, we love acting it out and... And uh, the whole scenario, we, we maybe even like to kind of reflect and think, yeah, I want to be one of those that overcomes the giant. But what I want us to do is I want us to take a little more mature look at it today. I want us to actually read the verses, refresh ourselves with exactly what happened in the scenario, along with what was happening invisibly behind the scenes with the person in the presence of God. Because what we're going to do over these next few weeks is we're going to talk about how to slay several practical giants that you and I face all the time. Some of us have financial giants, uh, debt just bearing down and oppressing us. How do you slay the debt giant, financial giants? Some of us have uh, relationship challenges. Uh, whether it's within the marriage or in the family or it's outside of that in the workplace, 
How do you go about navigating when you wrong someone or they wrong you and the whole forgiveness thing and the reconciliation thing and you move on from there with some kind of resolution? How do you slay those giants? And then there are a whole myriad of things that we just bundle up and call fearsome giants. They just intimidate us. We get scared. We get paralyzed. We don't know how to take the next step. How do you slay what I will just call fearsome giants? So that's where we're going to go over the next few weeks, but we're going to to set the pace with all that by looking at David and his model. And uh, we'll be referring back to it from week to week uh, in some way or another. Now, um, I hope you'll just have a little bit of fun, but also I really want to encourage you, as best you know how, when you read scriptures, enter the story. Become one of the other characters in the story. Maybe you're one of David's brothers or you're one of those other soldiers that's about to be a part of the scenario. And just watch and listen in and and take it in as if you were there. Now, just to set the the setting a little bit, uh, this is in a time in Israel's history when they are at war with a group of people called Philistines. People of Philistia. And uh, this has gone on for years and years. It will, uh, in other times, happen again. But in this particular setting, uh, the two forces, Philistia and Israel, had decided, why don't we take care of this war, this battle between nations, with just two champions, the Philistine champion and the Israelite champion. And whoever wins... The other agrees to be their servants. And so if the Philistines won, Israel was going to be their servants forever. And if the Israelites won, the Philistines would be their servants. Let's pick up the story in verse 1. Several verses. So just kind of settle in and get ready to go on the journey. All right? Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokah in Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephes, Damin, between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley in between. Okay, you got all that between those names? Philistines up on one hill, Israelites up on another hill. There's a valley in between and that's where the battle will take place. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head. I just think how heavy that is. You've got to have a big head to handle that. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze leggings and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod or beam. Okay, he got this monster beam of a thing that's actually his spear. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay, he's got so much stuff, he's got a guy that helps carry his shield. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? 
Am I not a Philistine and you not the servants of Saul, who was their king? Choose a man. Have him come down to me. And if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now, by the way, friends, that's the way it is with all of our giants. If you do not slay your giants, if you do not overcome your giants, they master you. So you cannot just kind of get your finances in order. You cannot just kind of get your symptoms under control. You cannot just kind of uh, have some semblance of peace within the household and your relationships. You've got to slay these giants. You've got to get to a point where they don't master you, but they are a part of life in a way that serves and enables life to happen well. Then the Philistine said, This day... I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You ever dismayed and terrified? How about scared out of their stinking mind? Okay, they they just were paralyzed, didn't know what to do about all this. Now, and I'll get to this in a moment, but this is a part of struggling with understanding who they are. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years, and Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. So three of the oldest boys are uh, soldiers and serving under Saul. The firstborn was Eliab, the second uh, Benadab, and the third Shema. And David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And for forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now, you get the kind of relentlessness about that? Every day. Every day. You have things that are happening every day. It's like I don't even want to wake up. I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't want to face this day. Well, here's what they were dealing with. Now, Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of the unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David was making a little run with supplies to the front lines for his brothers. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed him. And he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. And when the Israelites saw the man, 
they all ran from him in great fear. You get this picture? Every day they've been going out. They've been lining up. They've been doing their war cry. You know, go, go, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you know. And then Goliath comes out and says, send me one champion. And they're all, ah, you know, and they're all running the other direction. And David, little, you know, teenage guy, comes and sees this for the first time. Uh, and he hears this defiance. Now, verse 25. Now, the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? Uh, yeah. He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. Okay, got a volunteer? How's that for incentives? Going to throw some money at you, going to throw one of my daughters at you, and I'm going to relieve you of taxes for the rest of your life. Anybody? 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 Come on, anybody? And nobody steps forward. So verse 26. So David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Now notice this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And here's where we want to begin to pick up on the model. And the first piece is the matter of identity. These people forgot who they were. Who were they? They were the people of God. They were those that God had selected out and chosen centuries before through their forefather, Abraham. They were those who were in covenant with God. They were those to whom God had made promises, excuse me, of guidance and provision and protection, and deliverance. They were those that God had taken from nowhere. They had been uh, a no people in a no place, and He had made them His people in this place, Palestine. Now, if you know anything about the geography there in Palestine, you understand how strategic that place is. It is something of a land bridge between the continents of Africa, Asia, and Europe. And so in those days, anybody that was going to travel from one place to another, if anybody was going to conduct trade and commerce from one place to another, had to go through Palestine. God had strategically placed His people at the crossroads of the world in that day for the purpose of exalting Him. Glorifying him. How was this world going to find God? Well, he was going to find them. And as they would go about their normal travels in life and conducting business, and every time they would go through Israel, then there would be this people that were his that would be a witness to him, that would be a source of glory to him, that would be there to tell the stories of God and point people to God, that kind of thing. God had every intention for them to be right there in Palestine, being His people and being a place of witness and glory to Himself. 
they forgot who they were. And they forgot whose they were. You see, when my children were growing up, and if there was some kind of bully situation in the neighborhood, well, that wasn't just a deal for my kids. They had to deal with me then. Are you following what I'm saying? They forgot whose they were. And see, you don't mess with God's people without messing with God. And so when this Philistine comes out and he begins this name-calling, this derision, this taunting, not only of Israel, but of Israel's God. Well, David, who has a sensitive heart toward the Lord and is fully uh, living in this sense of identity about who he is and whose he is, he was insulted on God's behalf. You ever get insulted on God's behalf? And so when he hears this Philistine doing the taunt thing, his response is, who does this guy think he is? Well, everybody else in Israel said, well, he's that big nine-foot guy with the bronze helmet and the you know, weaver's beam of a spear and the big shield and all that. No, no, this is an uncircumcised Philistine outside of the covenant of God. He's in trouble. Who are you? Now, if you're like our guest today and you're just kind of checking out the whole church thing and Christianity thing, we're really glad that you're here and we hope that some of this begins to make sense to you and and that you begin to sense a little more of God's presence for your life. But for these next few minutes, I'm really talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. You've drawn a line in the stand. You've stepped over it with faith. You've said, I am a follower of Christ. Uh, He has the totality of my life. It's sink or swim, do or die with God. I am God's man. I am God's woman. And if that's you, you've been born again. You're his son. You're his daughter. I'm talking to you. Who are you? You're son of God. Daughter of God. You are a child of the king. And he has a high, holy purpose for your life in this world. He has an eternal vested interest, not only in you, but what you will be about in his kingdom causes while you draw breath. And when that's over, then he takes you home. But until it's over... God is going to be constantly around your life, upon your life, in your life, seeking to move through your life for His purposes and His causes, which ultimately are about His glory and His exaltation so that a watching world can find Him and be drawn to Him. As you walk with God and as you are His people... Nothing will take place in your life that is incidental. It all matters. Or that is accidental. God never says, oops, didn't see that one coming. Now, God knew that Israel would find themselves in this season of their lives threatened by the Philistines and threatened by one big dude. 
He knew that. He, he hadn't abandoned them and going, hey guys, that's going to be a tough one. Let's see how you, you work that one out. He was all over it. But they forgot who they were. And whose they were. And therefore they were succumbing to the circumstances. I can't imagine a worse place to be. How are you doing? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. Well, get out from under the circumstances. You follow a God, you know a God who is sovereign and is over the circumstances. We'll continue. So verse 27. I got detained, sorry. They uh, repeated to him what uh, he had been saying, what they told him. And this is what will be done for the one who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger. Now, why was the older brother getting ticked off at the younger brother? Well, older brothers tend to do that with younger brothers anyway, right? Got anybody in the room that gets that? Okay. But on the other hand, it may just have been that David had enough kind of holy zeal going on in his life. It was just irritating the heck out of some of the others who didn't have it at the moment. And that happens. So he burns with anger at him and he said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? Shepherd boy, what are you doing? Go back to the sheep. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? And he then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Now catch this. you got this little like pre-teen or early teen guy who's walking around. What's going to be done about this Philistine? What's going to be done about this Philistine? Don't, don't we know that's an uncircumcised Philistine out there? Don't we know that God's you know, he's, you know, doing all this little peep-squeak stuff, and the word gets all the way back to Saul, the king. Bring that boy here. And so Saul sent for him, verse 32, David said to Saul, oh, Let no one heart, lose heart on this uh, uh, because of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Can you imagine this scenario? The text tells us that Saul is head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. He's the biggest man in Israel. He hadn't gone out to fight Goliath, but he's the biggest man in Israel. And here comes David. I'll go out and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight this Philistine and, uh, and, and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been fighting a, a fighting man from his youth. Now, I, I mean, it's incredulous, is it not, that this little boy would come in and say, I'll go do it. And, and Saul is like, well, sure. I'll let the entire fate of the Israel, Israelite nation rest on you. Because if you lose, we're just their servants forever. Uh, where would you like to go? You know, So there's no way. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Then the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And that's the second piece that I want you to see. And that's the matter of experience. David not only was remembering who he was and whose he was, he was also building this life that was gaining in confidence about what God will do with any given person in any given situation. As a shepherd boy, he had faced lions and bears. Wow. And whooped them. And, and apparently not from any distance. I grabbed him by the hair, the mane. Crediting God delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, friends, don't waste your experiences. It all counts. It all matters. Everything that God has been doing with you through the various seasons of your life until now has to do with what is going to be next. He is building a life in you that will be a difference maker, that will make a mark on eternity, that will be a player in His kingdom. Every experience that you've had until this point makes a difference in the coming chapters and pages of what your life is going to be about. What's the story of your life? What have the experiences been to this point? Now, in this past year, many of you participated in what we referred to as our life-building campaign. It was only as a side issue, okay, you listening, that we built a facility. That was the side issue. The central issue, the main issue, is that you would build experiences with God through it. You see, many of you gave the largest one-time monetary gift to God and His cause with this facility that you've ever done. And the whole idea behind building your life with that was that God would say, okay, pray. Ask me how much I want you to give. Well, there's a scary deal. I don't even know if I hear God very well. And He might you know, say this number that has a lot of zeros to it. And I'm kind of thinking about a number that has fewer zeros to it. Can I really trust my ears at that point? So, so we had to grow in prayer. And then we thought, okay, God said He wants me to give this. We had to grow in faith. Will God come through if I do without? Will I be able to make ends meet? If I give that amount. And we had to grow in trust. Yes, God will come through. I believe that God will be there for me. I don't believe that God will leave me hanging with all that. And then we had to grow in sacrifice. We actually let go of it and released it. And all these little experiences are building a life. And it ain't over. You go, Phew. you know, I got like... 13 more months in a life-building campaign, and when that thing's over, I'm going to get back to normal. 
I don't know if you're going to... What's normal? We're going to get back to whatever God says is next. I just felt the temperature go up. Just get a little bit nervous here. But friends, it's all about God building a track record with you and with Him, adding to your experiences so that you have greater confidence, so that you have a greater sense of assurance, so that you have a greater sense of, of hope about what He's going to do with your responses to Him, your engagement with Him. And so David had taken these little experiences, little, significant experiences with a lion and a bear, and he said, the same God that was working there, He'll work here. And somehow, Saul hears all of that and responds to David with some favor. For uh, Let's look at what happened. Where am I? 37? So, Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And then he said, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. Friends, we're not going to slay giants with somebody else's strategies with somebody else's plans, with somebody else's tools, we'll have to slay giants with what God has been building into us. He said, I, I can't wear this. And so he took it off. And he took his staff, you know, shepherd's stick. That'll knock somebody out. He took his Staff, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And that's the third piece I want you to get, friends, and that's the sense of authority. We're not talking about, okay, how do we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps? How do we, you know, tighten the belt and grit the teeth and go and slay giants? No. I'm talking about how do you lean into God in such a way that you go in His power. You go in His authority. Now, this past week, I just spent every night uh, out around Beaver Lake on the plateau because I've, I'm part of a rotary club there that put on this, like, uh, well, they call it Nightmare at Beaver Lake. It was like this haunted trail and house and all that Halloween kind of stuff. And uh, this was my first time to volunteer with that whole deal. And so when everything was getting in place and, and they were saying, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do the other, I was like, okay, I'll volunteer. What do you want me to do? And no kidding. The, the volunteer chair looked at me 
and said, we're going to make you a bouncer. You're, you're security, bud. I'm going, okay. You, you always think of me that way, don't you? So here's what security at the Nightmare of Beaver Lake had. I had an orange vest that said security, and I had a flashlight. Don't mess with me. So no kidding. We had about 10,000 people come through during the week. And uh, I'm the guy that looked at, with my flashlight, every single hand to see if there was a hand stamp and that you had a ticket so that you could give it the next stop. I did that like 10,000 times. Could I see your hand stamp? Could I see it? My, my throat is gone. Now, along the way, if some guys were getting too rowdy, I'd tell them to straighten up. I'd tell them you're not going to go in if you don't straighten up. I had to use my nose all week and see if there was like alcohol and stuff going on because if there was, we were sending the whole group away and that kind of thing. We we're going to keep it very family, family friendly and, and safe and all that kind of stuff. But when you think about it, and everybody did everything I said all week. I mean, it was so not like home. They... <laughs> By the way, I took my little vest home. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just, just dreaming. <laughs> But all week, everybody did everything that I said. And it was like, why? And it's simply because there was a sense of authority behind me. The entire organization that was putting it on, that authority was behind me. And not only that, beyond that was the entire King County Sheriff's Department. And we had a few deputies out there. And ultimately, you don't do what I say, you go see the deputy. So there was this sense of authority that I had that was way beyond who I am. I mean, if they had known I was a minister, they'd been slapping me around. They were get out of my way. Yeah. But no, I had an orange vest, and so they towed the line. So the giant says to David, what are you coming at me with sticks? I am going to wipe you out. And he goes, no, you're not, because I'm coming in the name of the Lord. I'm coming in God's power. God's all over this. Now, I'm going to be speaking with you over the next few weeks in more specific terms about how does that uh, relate to your finances and how does that relate to your relationships? How does that relate to a number of scenarios that you might call fearsome? Um, but in short, friends, the point is I want to have my life in alignment with God so that anytime I go anywhere and I'm about anything, I'm His agent. Now, rebellion and uh, disobedience puts me outside of that alignment, and it also puts me outside of his authority. And it leaves me totally vulnerable to get whacked. But as long as I'm in his authority, and I'm in alignment with him, and I'm on mission with him, I'm about what he's about. I've got the entire power of heaven about my life and behind me in what I'm up to. All right, so verse 46. So this day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Now friends, all you can say about that is that that is courage. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, you might go, no, I, I think that's foolishness. But you know the rest of the story. You know that was courage. 
Now, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the choosing to move through my fear to whatever I think God's up to, to whatever slaying of whatever giant. And he over... I mean, think about this boy facing this nine-foot guy with all the armor. And he goes, no, God's going to whip you. And he had this courage. He moved right through his fear. So verse... What are we, 48? So uh, verse 47, all those gathered here will know that there is not by sword, it's not by spear that the Lord saves. So the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Verse 48. And so as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, watch this, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love that. We call that offense in athletics. And any of you played football or you play basketball, any kind of contact sport, friends, the best way to get creamed is to be stationary. Uh, anytime you're involved in a contact sport, you have to be moving toward the opponent, toward the, the person that's on the other side, if you're going to have the best opportunity to not get creamed. And so when this thing ensues, David starts running, and he's running toward Goliath. This kind of silly mentality that says, man, that, that debt monster, that debt giant, well, I'm just going to kind of wait here and see how that plays out. Boom! Wipe you out. You'll be on your backside. Well, that whole kind of relationship thing, you know, it's, well, we haven't had much fighting lately, and it just seems like the ruffled feathers are a little bit smoother right now. Just kind of, kind of play that out. Boom! That relationship thing will knock you on your backside. You have to move toward it. You have to engage it in whatever way God's calling and leading you to engage that big situation. So let's uh, go ahead and get toward the end of the story. Verse 49, so reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, he struck the Philistine on the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead, he fell face down on the ground, and David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Is it over? Verse 51, David ran and stood over him and took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. And after he had killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And that, my friends, is finishing the job. You finish the job. I know we're talking in graphic military-type terms, and you know you start thinking about that relationally. I'm not talking about decapitating anybody that you're trying to reconcile with. But finish it. Don't just get to a point where all of the tension is, a, you know, is way less intense. Finish it. Come to a point of resolve. Come to a point of full reconciliation. Don't get to a point where you just get your debt more manageable or you got people no longer calling you. No, get debt free. Don't just get to a point in uh, the sense of knowing God's purpose and God's plans and, and making use of His endowments upon you and His spiritual gifts and all that kind of... Don't just get to a point where you are becoming a nice person. 
Go all the way until you're His agent in His hand for mighty and eternal things. Finish it. So as I said, this is our model. You need to run that through the grid now. What are the giants that you need to be slaying these days? What is it that God's going to be speaking to you about over these next few weeks? How did all this begin for David? Friends, it all began for David with a sense of truth in his heart. And we are surrounded, surrounded by deception, by things that appear one way or appear to be true. And we, we bite, we go after it. And he was firmly rooted and grounded in the truth. Do you have a heart, do you have an ear that is bent toward truth? Toward what God says? Toward what the Word reveals? Toward what we see in Jesus? Not what the deceptive images around us would say. Let's bow together and pray. Oh God, we sense that you're up to something over these next few weeks for us that's powerful, that's liberating, that sets us off on a course for a new day and a new way. And, and Father, we want to be in on every aspect of what you're up to with us these days. We want to see you slay giants that have been oppressing us for weeks and months, some of us for years. But God, we need truth. We need to hear from you. We need to see your face, see uh, the movement of your spirit, to be in uh, concert with exactly who you are, what you're about, where you're going. So, Father, we pray in these moments, move on our heart, soften our heart, illumine our mind, that truth might become evident to us. So here's the truth. Some of us are in significant bondage. Some of us are under the tyranny of some kind of gigantic situation and scenario in our lives. We've been that way for some time, and God knows it. And because He loves you, and because He cares about you, and because He wants you to have all that He dreams for your life, He has set aside these weeks to specifically address some giant deals in your life that He wants to help you slay, help you overcome. So I hope you'll be a part of this every week and that you will engage in what I think is going to be a process of God bringing power to bear on us and through us. And so I'm going to invite you to kind of have as a marker of what God's up to this season, these five weeks, I'm going to invite you to take up a stone. Be a David. And in a few moments when the, the service is over and the doors open, there'll be a couple of uh, greeters there with uh, a whole bowl full of stones. And I'm, I'm going to invite you to just take one of those as a marker. I'm all about what God's up to for these days. I'm going to cooperate with Him. I'm going to hear His voice. I'm going to lean into that truth. I'm going to see a giant slain that has been oppressive to me for way too long. And you might want to take this and put it on your desk. 
uh, put it on uh, the vanity there in your bathroom, your dining table, wherever you see it frequently, put it on the dashboard of your car in some kind of way if that's where you've got a, an issue going on. I know some of you are going, I'm taking a couple of those stones. But we may not have enough of them for everybody if you do that. So I just we're going to let that be a marker to you as you depart. But before we get to that, we want to worship the Lord with whatever commitments you sense Him stirring in you right now. Uh, as mentioned, that connection card is a worship tool. If you want to indicate some kind of step of faith you're going to take with God over these days, write that down. We'll pray for you. If you have another prayer need or a request, indicate that. Confidentially, we'll be praying for you about that in the morning. Uh, maybe you're newer and you want some information, you can check those things. But uh, this is also when we will worship the Lord with our tithes and with our offerings. Uh, so, Father, you are the good giver. We are the grateful recipients, and we worship you with the giving of commitments and tithes and offerings. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen.